Welcome to Mosaic, the podcast from Education Development Center. Mosaic is a place to explore pressing challenges in education, health, and economic opportunity around the world. I'm Berkonofsky, senior writer at EDC. It's no secret that advances in technology continue to reshape the American workplace, but how well are schools preparing young people for the opportunities that await them? In this episode, I talk with EDC's Joyce Malin-Smith and Catherine Shields about the skills that today's students need. Joyce and Catherine also share their insights on innovative efforts to link school and industry. Well, Joyce and Catherine, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And why don't we start with some quick introductions, just so people know who you are and what sort of work you do. Hi, my name is Joyce Mallon-Smith, and I work at Education Development Center in the STEM and Workforce Success Portfolio. Hi, I'm Catherine Shields. I'm a research scientist here at EDC, and I study career technical education as well as college and career readiness. So there's no doubt that we're living in a time of rapid technological change, and that change is driving major upheavals in industry. Um, Obviously, this has major implications for K-12 schools in the U.S., and I'm wondering what skills do today's students need in order to compete in tomorrow's economy? Well, you know, uh, we've been working on that very issue with the Stellar Center, which is funded by National Science Foundation to serve the ITEST program. And we came out about a year ago with a report on foundational skills needed for work at the human technology frontier. We interviewed people from industry, from uh, SpaceX, from Google and other um, high-tech industries, from the Department of Defense, defense industries, to figure out what is it that people are looking for in workers who are working right at that very edge of the human technology frontier, to figure out what the future might hold. So they gave us some impressions of the kinds of workers that they are now looking for and they expect to be continuing to look for in the future. One of the things they said would uh, describe this workplace at the human technology frontier is something called the dynamic interdisciplinary teams. The teaming is not the same as it used to be, that uh, where we used to have teams consisting of engineers who would get together for two or three weeks or a month and work on a project and then go to the next project. Now teams are interdisciplinary. They include people from finance, they include engineers, they include writers, marketing people, uh, a number of other different people who have very different kinds of language, of culture, ways of approaching and solving problems. So we're ending up with very different ways of teaming. And that way of teaming is creating big challenges on what are the kinds of skills that people need for success as they move into the future. So Joyce, I, I think one, one question there is, what are some of the specific skills that students need that, that maybe they're not getting right now? Uh, yeah, so, so we're finding that the kinds of skills that people are going to need to do this kind of work are things like data, that database decision-making is all around us. Continuous streams of data between and among humans and machines are, are being um, generated to create and innovate and make decisions to optimize products and services. Data is used to support facts and also to mislead. So it's important for everyone all students, people who want to be successful in today and tomorrow's world to understand data and to be able to tell the data story. Another is engineering and engineering design, but not only because engineering is important as uh, engineers translate new ideas into products and services to improve our world, but engineering provides a common language used by those dynamic interdisciplinary teams. So it doesn't matter if your future is going to be a researcher, a material scientist, a marketing specialist, 
If you know that language of engineering, it's going to help you communicate in those work teams of the future. Another skill we're finding has been really important is computational thinking and core computer science skills. As technology becomes more and more prevalent in the workplace, we're finding that employers are expecting people to think more like computer scientists. So computational thinking and computer science, in addition to engineering, data, and a new way of teaming are all new things that people need to develop. So Joyce, talk about how well U.S. schools are preparing students for these opportunities. So are today's students learning the skills and habits that will help them succeed and adapt to new types of work? I had an aha moment when I was doing some work with EDC a number of years ago in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, that that adds to this particular question. We were doing a focus group in, um, in the Exxon oil refinery in Baton Rouge at the end of a really intensive two-day focus group where we were asking people, what is it that you want people to know and be able to do who were at that time working as process engineers? And the director of the pilot lab that we were working in became very intense and very, um, very focused on what he was saying. And he slammed his hand down on the table. I don't want any four-year college graduate running my multi-million dollar lab. I want someone who knows what they're doing. And I was absolutely astounded. It took me, it really took me back. I said, what is he talking about? I always thought the four-year college graduate, the academic person was the one who was supposed to be running these multi-million dollar labs. But what he was really talking about was the importance of someone who has technical skills and knowledge and that a straight academic program is no longer enough to be successful in in this new world of work. And there's a need for a balanced curriculum. So when you say, what are schools doing right? Um, It made me wonder whether my kids, who were in a really classical education at the time, taking Latin and Greek and music and science and math, but they weren't getting much of a technical learning. Are they going to be the disadvantaged kids in the future? It made me really reconsider what we needed in terms of a high-quality Um, education for the future workforce. And what it meant is that we need to have a balanced curriculum. Academics academics alone is no longer enough. We need to have strong technical skills, strong um, computer skills, and skills that are going to help people be successful in this new blended economy. I think that's a great segue into uh, the work that Catherine's done. So Catherine, I, I want to turn to you now because you've been working with one school system that's really putting workplace skills and industry partnerships at the center of the curriculum. So I think more akin to the model that Joyce was just talking about. Uh, tell me about Elk Grove Unified School District. Sure. So we're in the middle of a study funded by the U.S. Department of Education through the Institute of Education Sciences, uh, working with this district just outside of Sacramento. It's the fifth largest district in California, and they are really trying to work with one of these models that addresses what uh, Joyce was talking about to try to achieve a balanced curriculum, and that is a career academy. So the Career Academy really tries to reject the idea that, you know, sort of what Joyce heard from someone on the, at the oil refinery, that a four-year college grad is unprepared to, you know, to run their lab. Um, so they try to offer um, both academic courses that are really going to prepare students adequately for college, and at the same time, those students are taking technical courses that prepare them for particular occupations. And thirdly, they're getting sort of transferable skills these sort of skills that will serve them in the jobs of the future, whatever those may be. And the way they do that in the Career Academy model, 
Um, you have a small cohort of students, might be as few as 10 in a grade level, maybe, you know, more like 20 or 30. And those students take, you know, their English, math, science together, and they also take their, let's say, their engineering classes or their animal husbandry classes together. So you have this nice tight cohort of peers and teachers. And this gives the teachers the chance to really try to pull together this kind of interdisciplinary uh, learning um, that brings together both the core academic skills and the, the technical so, for example, you know, they do project-based learning classes where they've brought in employers from the community to help them figure out what skills are you going to want from these graduates when they come to you in a couple of years or a, f- a few years down the line, um, and how can we help the students gain those skills while at the same time preparing them for college if that's what they want to do. So, for example, they have a, in the Manufacturing Academy, they worked with a company partner uh, that company came up with a real-world problem that they needed to solve. They said, you know, we need to get heavy furnaces up into attics, so we need to do that more safely and efficiently. Help us figure out a new process. So the students brought together their math skills, physics skills, engineering skills, other technical skills they were learning in the manufacturing academy, um, and really brought a dose of creative problem-solving to that. So it's kind of one of these open-ended problems with no obvious solution. And um, so the, the students worked on that together um, over the course of several months during the year. And then who are some of the industry partners that, that the school district is, is working with? Um, so, for example, there's a group, uh, there's a home building company, Lennar, that's really big in the area. They come in and do workshops in the school. Um, they teach students skills around, you know, tiling or, or carpentry. And then if students have completed those, they get a paid internship over the summer. So that's a group that has done some kind of interdisciplinary learning with the students. There's also uh, a new program they introduced more recently kind of to respond to what's unfortunately an emerging trend in California, which is around fire and emergency services. Um, so they brought together the local fire chiefs from Elk Grove and Sacramento, um, co- community college partners from emergency management programs, and they, they put together a, a program to train students in that area as well. So this sounds like a very different type of education, certainly than the one I received and the one I think that Joyce was just talking about her children receiving. What have students and teachers told you about this type of real-world education where industry is sort of in the classroom and students are learning skills that are, you know, maybe a little bit different than the ones we grew up with? So we actually interviewed more than 60 students and and 40 adults in the teachers and other staff in the, the district as part of our study. And we heard from students that, you know, when they would describe their um, career academy classes compared to their regular classes, you know, I talked to one girl who said, you know, in her regular math class, the teacher would kind of just follow the book, chapter one, chapter two. She said, we never get to talk in that class or say anything. We don't get to pick what we're working on. Um, And then she would go to her culinary class and she said, it's okay to mess up. I can learn from my mistakes. Um, I get to have more choice in picking what skill I want to learn or what question I want to follow up. Um, There's a lot of chance to interact. And so that was like just a basic kind of pedagogical difference that they experienced that they liked in their career academies. They also liked that there was a real world context to what they would learn. So for example, in their culinary chemistry class, they learned, well, when I'm making pesto and it turns brown, why did that happen? And they learn about oxidation. So there's like a connection to something they can have their hands on as they learn abstract concepts. The other thing is that these students really uh, saw it, it was so helpful for kind of preparing them for the future and that they could really have their hands on the, the particular technology or um, type of skills that they might use on the job. So, for example, one student in a, a media broadcasting program told us that he went on a college visit to um, a local college that he was considering and they were using the exact same um, video editing equipment that he had learned to use in his academy. And he was so excited because he could really see himself succeeding at that college because he had already had a chance to learn those skills. 
I'd like to build on what uh, Catherine is saying just for a moment, because when we've had our interviews with with business people around the country, there's been one common theme that has come through these interviews over the past two decades of work we've had with them. And that is uh, when we ask people in industry, who are your most successful workers? Who are those people that when you see, there's a quality about them when, they, when they're interviewing that you say, I want to hire that person? And who are the people that when, when times are rough and you have to lay people off, who are the ones you really want to keep? And time and time again, they come back with the same answer. Our most valuable employees are those employees who can draw upon their academic, their technical, their social, their intellectual skills in the face of solving a problem that comes up in the workplace and can help us solve that problem in a way to save us time and money. That whole idea of being able to draw upon a wide range of skills in the face of a problem has, has continues, and I'm sure will continue in the future to be one of the most um, one of the most greatly appreciated skills in the workplace. So the more we can help students develop the skills and knowledge to be able to deal with those kinds of problems, to be able to draw upon their skill and knowledge across different disciplines in the face of a problem will just help them be more successful when they get out into work. I, I agree. And I, I think this really ties back to what Joyce was mentioning about the importance of dynamic interdisciplinary teams. And I think this type of model for learning is really giving students the skills they need to succeed on those kinds of teams. So one thing we really heard from students in the different career academies was that they were getting these collaboration and teamwork skills. You know, they talked about, you know, they had to figure out how who had complementary skills and how to leverage those on their team to do a solve a project together. Or, you know, figuring out how do I work with people I don't like so much that I wouldn't normally work with? And how do I get to understand them and how they work? Um, so it seems like a really great uh, one, one of many possible, you know, models for actually bringing students together around those kinds of interdisciplinary teams. So on that point, do you think the career academies and career technical education initiatives are the most promising ways to prepare students for, you know, this rapidly changing economy? Or are they just one component of a larger effort sort of across K-12, maybe even into, into college, that really needs to take place before students are being prepared with the skills that, that they need and the industry demands as well? Uh, Joyce, why don't we start with you on that one? Well, I, I think, unfortunately, that there's still a dichotomy between academic education and career and technical education. What needs to happen more is that all education needs to become more balanced with a technical and academic component. Technical education has been for many years becoming stronger and stronger in integrating academics into that. The, the academic side has been a little slower to integrate the technical in, but I think that we need to have a stronger single system that provides all students with both uh, a grounding in technical and academic so that they can integrate them both. So I don't want to say one's, one is better than the other. I think they both need to change and become one more unified to serve all students. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. It's The Career Academy is just one possible model. I mean, I think there's, you know, slowly there's some more recent rigorous studies coming out that have found um, that really focused, model, focused models for providing career technical education. Career Academies are one. Also, like, uh, high-quality regional vocational schools um, have had have shown positive impacts on students' high school graduation rates and their earnings later in life. And this is especially true for male students and students who are at greater risk of dropping out. So there's certainly some accumulating evidence around those types of career technical education specifically. But I think there's a lot of different ways to, to put it together. Um, and especially making sure that, you know, not just that this is not something just happening in high school, but I think a lot of the thinking now in different states is for drawing those pathways through to post-secondary credentials. 
what would you say to a district superintendent or a school principal uh, or even a, a parent or industry member who really wants to begin to emphasize career technical education or industry partnerships more in their district? What are some things that they can do to really get started? Uh, Catherine, let's start with you on that one. Yeah, I think opportunities to connect. Well, I'll say two things. One is thinking small and one is thinking big. So I think thinking on the small scale, connecting individual teachers with employers directly is a great way to kind of kickstart that and to help connect what's happening in the classroom to what will be needed in the workplace. So there are districts that have done like teacher externships where they go and they actually are on site with an employer for a period of time or, you know, working on these kind of co-developed curricula where the employer is coming in and and participating in that. Um, But then thinking big, there's a lot of examples of regional partnerships that have really been effective because it's doing really good work-based learning is something that's very hard for any individual teacher or school to sustain. So doing a lot of one-off partnerships is not the only way to do it. I think um, Elk Grove has been working regionally with um, neighboring Sacramento County school districts on building long-term partnerships with regional employers and and colleges. So that's more of an effort that kind of they can all draw on um, to, you know, produce internships for students and figure out, you know, doing some need sensing around what those employers are going to need from their students in the future. And Joyce? I think there are a couple of things. I noticed a lot of uh, success in school systems where superintendents host quarterly partnership breakfast, breakfasts with uh, local business partners to begin to share common goals, to start developing projects together, to to just get to know each other better. Those have proven to be very successful across the country. I think uh, also keeping uh, your eye out for advantage Uh, advantages and opportunities that are provided within your community. For example, we were just funded with an EIR project to work on middle schools, a systemic reform initiative in middle schools. We've we've identified uh, seven of 15 school systems that are going to be part of this project this year, and we'll be expanding that to another eight school systems next year. So if there are superintendents in Massachusetts who want to focus on middle school computer science education, where they'll be provided with support for developing developing district councils and developing skills and database decision-making, strategic planning, they can uh, apply to become part of cohort two. So keeping keeping your eyes open for those kinds of opportunities in your community is really important. And I I do want to build on what Catherine said about teacher externships, and I cannot emphasize how important that is. We did a teacher externship in Beaumont, Texas, a a number of years back, where we had a science teacher who was a good science teacher teacher, uh, went, into indus- went into industry for six weeks, came back into the classroom and said, that was the best experience I ever had because now I don't have to justify myself to my students anymore. I'm not just a science teacher because now I really understand that I'm a scientist. And that made a real difference in that teacher's teaching from that point forward. Certainly there's a lot for everyone to learn about all of these new job opportunities that are emerging. Uh, Joyce and Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your stories and your expertise about this important issue. It's been a really interesting conversation. And thank you for having us. Thank you, Bert. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for listening to Mosaic. For more information about EDC's efforts to help schools prepare their students for life and work in the 21st century, visit us online at edc.org.